What is going on, Niners faithful? It is your boy Perry back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. It was an ugly game today, guys. 29-22 Falcons. The Niners came out sluggish. They came out slow. It was one of those games where you just you just kind of felt like they weren't going to get the job done. I mean, the offense wasn't good. The defense wasn't as good as it's been. And the Falcons just ran away with it. That's just how it works. You know, the Niners had every chance to win the game. They did. But watching this game and understanding how it was playing out, you just got the feeling that the Niners, they didn't deserve to win this game. And even after it being as close as it was, you still knew at the end it was like, man, Julio scored. They they didn't deserve to win. They did not play hard. They played lazy. They played sloppy. Receivers weren't getting separation. Kittle was the only one doing anything. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't even have that good of a game. The running game wasn't that good. The defense wasn't that good. You know, I can go on and on about what happened in this game. And, you know, that's what the podcast is for, though. That's what I'm going to be doing tonight. But as always, guys, formalities. Find me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49ERS. So let's get into it, guys. Just a quick recap. It was sloppy. It was sluggish. From the opening drive to the very last drive of the game, the Niners did not look good. They didn't. They opened the game poorly, and they finished the game poorly. And, you know, you have teams that set the tone for themselves early on, and the Niners really set the tone for themselves by just not playing well. I mean, the Falcons didn't play well either, but quite frankly, this was the type of game the Niners did not deserve to lose, and you know what happened? They lost. So, what was the problem? Well, I think it starts with the offense, and we'll start with the offense. Jimmy Garoppolo did not have a good day, guys. I mean, let's see. He only passed for 200 total yards. He looked for Kittle mostly. Let's see. Here it is. 22 of 34, 200 total yards, one touchdown, no picks. He got sacked one time. He only averaged 5.9 yards per attempt. This is the same Garoppolo that the past four weeks has been damn near averaging over 10 yards a throw, and to come into this game only barely averaging six, that's not really going to get the job done. On the day, 16.5 QBR, he had a 90.3 passer rating, which is pretty average. Again, Garoppolo didn't have a good game. He didn't. Now, I'm not going to solely blame it on him, though. The the offensive line did not look that good. He didn't have a lot of time pass protecting. And they just kind of let Atlanta's defensive line get advantage of every chance that they got. I know Garoppolo only got sacked one time, but it felt like that Garoppolo was getting pressured more often than not. And as a result, he didn't have time. He wasn't hitting his receivers. And even then, receivers weren't getting open. But... When they were getting open, they were dropping the ball. Debo had a big drop. I think Kittle had a drop or two also. Bourne might have had one. I'm pretty sure Sanders, I think, had one also. But what I'm trying to get across is the fact that the receivers outside of Kittle did not have a good game. And outside of Kittle, the offense was just, it was just a letdown as a whole. I mean, I had high expectations for this game. And I know a lot of people had high expectations for this game too, but... Once again, the offense just simply did not get the job done against an Atlanta Falcons defense that, quite frankly, has not been good on the season. They had a bottom 20 secondary. They had a bottom 20 rush defense. And again, this was one of those things where you go, what happened? What went wrong? And quite frankly, you can just say that everything went wrong. And again, that's just how it goes. But on the day, for what I'm talking about with how ineffective the offense has been, they only passed for uh they only passed for 10 first downs, only ran for 8 first downs. 
They were 4 of 12 on third down, ran 62 total plays, just barely got over 300 total yards of offense at 313. But the big thing about it, the Niners only averaged 5 yards a play. 5 total yards a play. Passing and rushing, you know, this is the type of offense that relies on play action. It relies on big plays over the middle. It relies on yak. It relies on receivers and tight ends and running backs to get the job done with the ball in their hands. And, you know, quite frankly, no one really got the job done today. I know Kittle had a game. Don't get me wrong. I keep saying it. But he had that costly fumble in the fourth quarter, and we'll talk about it later. But one can only imagine what could have happened if he didn't fumble. But in any event, though, guys, the offense just did not look good. I don't even think Shanahan called a good game as well. It was just one of those games where you felt like Kyle Shanahan kind of overlooked the Falcons. <laughs> now, I saw a funny thing that said, oh, well, Shanahan was just letting the Falcons win so Dan Quinn could keep his job. I mean, that's his boy. Well, I think when Shanahan left, Quinn and a lot of other people kind of threw Kyle Shanahan under the bus by saying that it was the offensive play calling that cost him the Super Bowl. But, hey, what can you do? It's watered under the bridge now. Everyone's moved on. The Niners clinched a playoff berth. The Falcons are competing for a top 10 pick. And there's not much more you can say about it, guys. I mean, what can you do? But I will say that it is very disappointing that Shanahan didn't call a good game. I would have at least expected, you know, just something more creative, something more schemed, something more designed. It felt like the offense was just really flat. And usually when the offense is flat, it doesn't start with the players. It starts with the coach or it starts with the person calling the plays. And obviously that's Kyle Shanahan. So I don't know if he was just, I don't know if it was just a bad day for him. I don't know if he was just lazy, you know, again, overlooking the Falcons. Maybe he didn't think much of the game. But that's the type of thing that costs teams. That's the type of thing that, you know, makes or break seasons. It makes or breaks winning and losing. And when you roll over and let the Falcons take advantage of their opportunities and, you not take advantage of your opportunities, it really costs the team. That's just that's just how it works. So overall, I don't think Shanahan's play calling was good. It definitely wasn't the type of game like we saw last week against New Orleans where it was Emmanuel Sanders passing the ball. It was Kyle Juszczyk options. It was Debo Samuel runs. You know, things of that nature where Kyle Shanahan really opened up the playbook against New Orleans and and today against the Falcons, it just felt like everything was so simple. It was so relaxed. It was so vanilla. And, you know, guys weren't executing. Shanahan certainly wasn't executing. And it cost the team. It really honestly cost the team. But you can't just blame it on the offense. You got to blame it on the defense. And it can go a lot of ways, guys. It, it was the whole team, though. I mean, they rolled over to the Falcons. The Falcons shouldn't have won this game. You know, obviously you can say the Niners should have won this game, but watching the way they played, they definitely didn't did not deserve to win this game at all. But let's get more into the offense, guys. The wide receivers did not perform well. You know, I don't know if it was just game plan. I don't know if Shanahan just wanted to feed Kittle. I don't know if Garoppolo was just he was just having a day where he didn't trust his wide receivers or what. But overall, the wide receivers in this game were not impactful at all. Debo Samuel, only one catch on 29 yards. Kendrick Bourne, one catch on 11 yards. And Emmanuel Sanders, two catches on nine yards. The wide receivers as a whole today were only targeted nine times. Nine total times. And to put that into perspective, guys, I know George Kittle had a day, but Kittle was targeted 17 times. Kittle almost doubled the amount of targets the wide receivers received. And, you know, those are the type of things that make you wonder, 
were the wide receivers not performing well? Were they not getting separation? Does Shanahan not want to get them as involved in the offense compared to Kittle? Or, you know, what was going on? I didn't, you know, it was one of those observations where I'm watching, I'm thinking like, man, Debo, Bourne, Samuel, no one has made a play today. And I know Debo had the big 29-yard catch. But overall, I just, you know, I, I didn't understand. I really didn't understand. It was a very lackluster performance from the wide receiver unit. You know, the biggest problem with this offense in the past has been trying to run the whole thing through Kittle. And I mean, you can get it done, but you need to give Kittle support too because he can't do everything by himself. And that's the exact reason why the Niners traded for Emmanuel Sanders. It's the reason why they drafted Debo Samuel. It's things of that nature that should be able to help get the offense moving and make Jimmy Garoppolo's job a lot easier. But the wide receivers didn't get the job done. And we'll be able to observe and watch more, you know, in the coming days when the NFL coaches film comes out but for the time being guys the wide receivers did not perform well at all and this was a banged up Atlanta secondary who had already lost one of their safeties Keanu Neal they had lost Desmond Trufant I think for the season who had a pretty nasty injury so this was the type of game where the Niners should have went out there and they should have gotten the job done the guys should have executed and they just didn't they just didn't they came out flat they started flat and ultimately they finished flat so the wide receivers are let down. But uh, let's get into the positives. I feel like I've been a lot negative. How about George Kittle, guys? He had 13 catches, 134 yards. He also had a huge, huge, huge pancake block on Ricardo Allen's safety for the Falcons, which uh, you know, I don't know if it made much of a difference, but it really set up the Raheem Mostert touchdown on the opening drive. You know, what can't George what can't George Kittle do, guys? This guy is an absolute monster. He's a stud. He goes out there. He plays his ass off every single snap. He's looking out there for contact. He's looking out there to hit someone. You know, I swear to God, I think George Kittle probably had like 10 or 11 broken tackles today. And I'm not kidding either. It felt like George Kittle was making everyone miss. It felt like he had defenders all over him, and he was still dragging them for an extra two, three, four, five yards. You know, I know I brought up that it's hard to run the offense only through Kittle when you need your other playmakers doing the job, but you also want to see Kittle get the ball as much as possible because he goes out there and he makes plays like what he did tonight, or today, excuse me. So, you know, what more can you expect from Kittle, guys? He averaged 10 yards a catch. His longest catch was 21 yards. You know, he was targeted 17 times, so you best believe Garoppolo was looking Kittle's way because no one else was getting the job done. The run game couldn't necessarily get going. The wide receivers couldn't get going. You know, I know it's good if Kyle Juszczyk catches a touchdown, but I also don't think it's that good if your only passing touchdown on the day was a touchdown to the fullback. And I know that's usually something that you kind of expect in a tight game or, you know, when it comes down to it. But, I mean... Kyle Juszczyk, I respect him, but I would have liked to see a touchdown catch from catch from Kittle or Debo or Bourne or Sanders. You know, you know, not knocking Juszczyk because he deserves it. He's a hard worker. He had a huge fumble recovery today, but the fact that no one else outside of Kittle really got involved in the offense, it was really surprising. And again, we were coming off of a really good New Orleans game where. Everyone was making plays, whether it was Debo, Kendrick Bourne, Emmanuel Sanders, Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, or actually not Tevin Coleman, but Matt Breida, you guys get it, George Kittle. The point being, no one no one showed up today. No one showed up. They came out flat. And you come out flat against a team that's not playing for anything, 
other than Dan Quinn really coaching for his job, the guy is going to try and try and take advantage of every opportunity possible, and he really did today. So let's talk about the run game, though. Raheem Mostert had a pretty good day, 14 carries, 54 yards. He barely averaged four yards a carry. You know, one observation on the day for the Falcons defense was that they were stacking that box hard, and I'm talking seven, eight, even nine men in the box at some points. You know, when the wide receivers aren't showing up, when all you really need is a safety or a DB draped over Kittle, it's easy for defenses to stack the box and take advantage of the run game. And that's pretty much what happened today. The Niners on the day ran for 120 yards, which is pretty good. It's pretty good. It's well below their average, which I think is just about over 180 rushing yards a game. So to come into this game against a bad run defense and you know, not really exceed expectations is really shocking. It really is. Uh, Other running backs on the day, Tevin Coleman, four carries, 40 yards. He had that longest carry of 37 yards on the day, but overall his other three carries didn't amount to anything. Matt Breida, four carries, 11 yards. He also fumbled twice on back-to-back runs. He fumbled and, you know, it's kind of silly, but I was watching that. You know, obviously I was watching the game and when Breida fumbled the first time, I swear to God, I thought like, Oh my God, he just fumbled. You know, that's not a good sign. I, you know, I'm sure people didn't think much of it, but when I saw him fumble, I was like, oh, I have a bad feeling about this. I, something just hit me, and I don't know if I jinxed it or what. It was just some kind of bad omen. But Breida fumbled on the very next play, and the Falcons recovered the ball. So Breida didn't have a good game. Four carries, 11 yards. Debo Samuel had a carry for eight yards. Garoppolo had a couple scrambles for six total yards. And then Kyle Juszczyk had a couple fullback dives, you know, not really effective. So, you know, I brought it up earlier, but it just felt like Kyle Shanahan's offense today was just slow. It was brittle. It was flat. It wasn't nice to watch. Again, I don't know if receivers and guys weren't doing the jobs and weren't executing because this was a Falcons defense that on the season has been getting toasted time and time again. And to go out there and make the Niners' offense look flat, look like a bottom 10 team, that was really shocking. That was absolutely shocking. It was something that I really don't think should have happened to the Niners. They should have been able to let the Falcons have it. And, you know, I love the fans and I love the analysts, but I was seeing so many predictions that were like Niners 35 to 10 or 28 to 10, 28 to 14, you know, things of that nature where you expect the Niners offense to score a lot of points. And quite frankly, they didn't score a lot of points. And again, the, the Atlanta defense, they played good. They played very good. I'm not going to knock them for the day because Grady Jarrett, Vic Beasley, Adrian Claiborne, you know, that defensive line was getting pressure. They were filling gaps. They were filling lanes. They were stopping the run. They were limiting Garoppolo to what felt like checkdowns all day. Overall, though, Dan Quinn and that defense, they locked down the Niners offense. Point blank. It happens. It happens. Teams go out there and play bad football, especially good teams. Like I said, this the Rams just beat the Seahawks last week, and today the Cowboys put up 44 points on the Rams. So it's like, how can you take a team like the Seahawks and the Rams serious, or even the Cowboys, when these guys are throwing clunkers and beating each other up? And obviously the Niners play the Rams next week on Saturday. So what can we expect? Obviously we can't expect the offense to come out flat like this. If the Cowboys can put up 44 points, I think the Niners should be able to put up 30. But, you know, I'll save my predictions for another episode, guys. But to close out the offensive segment, the offense was not good. It was not good. 
This was their chance to take advantage of a poor Falcons defense that was already coming in pretty banged up, and they didn't show for it. Shanahan didn't show for it. Garoppolo didn't show for it. Kittle did. Kittle deserves all the praise, man, and he gets my offensive MVP of the game because Kittle goes out there, he balls. No, no one can stop him. The only person that could really stop him is himself, and obviously he that he had that key fumble that we'll talk about later. And what more can you say? You know, when you have the offense, it just relies on Kittle. No one is getting open. No one is getting separation. It's hard to watch. It's really hard to watch. And when guys can't get the job done, Shanahan can't even call effective plays because the Falcons are able to key in on whatever it is the Niners are going to do. And they're just going to fall flat. Just like today, the Niners are going to fall flat. And God, guys, I can't, I can't get over it. They had the chance to beat the Falcons. This is a game they should have won. And now they need to win out to win the NFC West. They need to win out to get the first seed because Seattle won today. They, you know, the box score shows that Carolina almost came back on them. But, you know, for almost four quarters, Seattle dominated Carolina. And we're going to be seeing them in two weeks. So point blank, though, the Niners need to win out. Every game matters, and I know it's only two games, but again, guys, every game matters. They need to win, and they need to, they need that statement game. They need that type of game where they're going to go out there, and they're going to prove to everyone why they're contenders, and it starts by not losing games against the Falcons. It starts by not rolling over against teams that you know you can beat, teams that you know you should beat, and... I know us Niners fans are going to take the Niners serious because we've seen the best of them. We've also seen the worst of them. But we know the best is better than the worst, obviously. And we know that this team is capable of going deep into the playoffs, even with the injuries. I think they can go pretty deep. But it matters with execution. It matters with guys getting the jobs done. And if you go out there and you play the Rams or you play the Seahawks like you played the Falcons today, the Niners shouldn't even be in the playoffs if they're going to you know, throw clunkers like that because they got to go out there and execute. They got to go out there and get their job done. They got to go out there and show everyone why winning these type of, I guess you can say, small games. You know, The Niners players won't say it's a small game, but us as fans are going to say it's a small game because it's the Falcons. They should have beat the Falcons. And if they can't beat the Falcons... Everyone is going to doubt him. We already have analysts up the ass saying that the Niners aren't real, that they're pretenders. I'm sure tomorrow or the next day, the Niners are going to drop 20 spots in the power rankings with everyone saying, wow, it's the Falcons. They they rolled over to the Falcons. We can't believe in them. When, quite frankly, the Niners were coming into this game with a ton of injuries, especially on defense. And that's going to open up to my defensive segment. The injuries today were huge. Or not today, but the people who were missing today were huge. No DJ Jones, no Kwan Williams, no Richard Sherman, no Jaquaski Tart, obviously no D Ford. So you're missing literally five starters on the defensive front, defensive secondary, that you needed. You needed Kwan Williams for Julio Jones in the slot today. You needed Richard Schumer, Richard Sherman for Julio Jones lined up outside today. You know, you needed DJ Jones and D4 to get after Matt Ryan because the defense was able to pressure Ryan pretty well, but one can only imagine what it would have been like to have D4 for this game, you know, to have that edge presence opposite in Nick Boza, be able to get the job done, be able to just get after Matt Ryan and really just really just go out there and get the job done. You know, I'm sorry I keep repeating myself, guys, but I need to get that point across. 
Offense and defense did not execute today. It was, in my opinion, the worst game of the Niners season. And I know the Steelers game was bad. I know the Seattle game was bad. The Baltimore game was good. That was a good game. But the game today, I seriously thought, was the worst game of the Niners this season. This was the game they should have won. They came into this, they should have won. I don't know if it was the players, I don't know if the coaches, but everyone just came out flat. They came out flat, offense and defense. Salah called a pretty good game, but when it came down to it in the final drive, they couldn't get the job done. It cost the team a victory. It really did. And I know there's some fluky calls. I mean, that Julio Jones P.I., I think, in the third quarter that was called on Jimmy Ward was ridiculous. That was bad. That was a really bad play, or excuse me, a really bad flag that Ward played Julio really well in the end zone. But, you know, today's referees, what can you expect? Of course, they're going to call the flag. Um, nah, guys, the defense, they didn't execute. They didn't. But I feel like I'm being a little too negative. I'm being really hard on the guys, even though they should have won. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But who stood out today? Obviously, Fred Warner. He had another pass breakup. That's all this That's all this dude does is break up passes, make tackles, make plays, force fumbles, attempts to intercept the ball. Fred Warner should be an all-pro linebacker this season. I'm going to say it. Bobby Wagner has been good. Luke Keekley has been good. But Fred Warner for whatever reason, is still getting slept on. He doesn't get enough media love. He doesn't get enough love, period. And he's playing at an all-pro level, guys. He's going to be a pro bowler this season, no doubt. But I really believe he has a shot to be an all-pro linebacker. That's how good he's been. He's been really good. So, outside of Fred Warner, Marcel Harris, dude. Come on down. Marcel Harris had a really good day also. He had six total tackles, four solo. It doesn't show, or excuse me, it's actually right here. Marcel Harris had two pass breakups. Two. You know, after last week against New Orleans where it felt like he was just getting bullied by Jared Cook, by anyone on that uh, Saints' wide receiver unit, Harris came out, he covered well. Again, we'll be able to look at it when the film comes out, but I'm going to say Harris had a really good game, guys. A couple of pass breakups. He also played Austin Hooper in the end zone really well on the play just before the game-winning touchdown for Falcons. The play that was called a touchdown that got called back on Austin Hooper, Marcel Harris was on him one-on-one, and I think Harris played through Hooper really well. You know, it was 50-50. You know, guys, part of me thought like, ooh, I thought Hooper had the ball. I really thought Hooper had it. It looked like he had like he had good grip on the ball with one hand as it was going down. It looked like it was stuck on there. But I think Al Rifferon said that he didn't really do a football move. So when the ball hit the ground and came up, he lost possession. So therefore, he didn't catch it. But in any event, though, guys, Marcel Harris had a nice game. He had a few big tackles. He had a few big pass breakups, including that Austin Hooper one, in my opinion. He looked a lot better in coverage today than he has had all season. Now, I think Jaquaski Tart should be good to go next week. But if Marcel Harris is put out there again, I think he's really good. Now, Marcel Harris's biggest problem is when he's on an island. You know, a lot of what the Niners run is single high safety. So it's pretty much just one safety on an island by himself and Marcel Harris was on that island a lot today and I don't think he did too bad you know obviously there are some plays that could have you know really been impacted by him that he didn't impact or make a big play on and when it comes down to it it's those type of things that can make or break teams winning and losing but overall I felt like Harris didn't necessarily do anything that cost the team too much 
you know, it didn't seem like he had many missed tackles. His tackling technique today was a lot better. I know he avoided most of those shoulder tackles. He really tried to wrap up, and he did a good job. But uh, outside of some linebackers and secondary pieces, guys, we got to talk about the man of the hour, the man of the week, the man of the year, defensive rookie of the year, arguably defensive player of the year. You know, Stephon Gilmore's look good. But uh, Nick Bosa, guys, Nick Bosa only had three tackles on the day, but who cares? They're just tackles. He had a huge sack on Matt Ryan. He also had one pass breakup, too, because, you know, Nick Bosa is a defensive lineman who likes to break up passes. You don't see that that often. I know you see guys, you know, defensive linemen will tip the ball at the line. But, I mean, Nick Bosa is out there. He's jumping, stretching out arms, and he's he's tipping the ball. Bottom line, he's making athletic tips. And you see defensive linemen, they just stick their arms up and block it. Well, I think Nick Bosa just, he's so smart. He is really smart when it comes to chasing down quarterbacks and seeing when the quarterback is going to throw the ball that he knows where to put his hands. He knows where to contort his body, if you will, to give himself the best opportunity to break up a pass. And, you know, I think he's done it on Russell Wilson. He obviously did it on Kyle Allen with that pick. And he had a breakup on Matt uh, Matt Ryan today. But uh, aside from that, guys, he had a big sack. He also had a couple big quarterback hits, too, on Matt Ryan. And he was just giving Jake Matthews, and I think Ryan Schrader is the tackle opposite of him, he was just giving that offensive line fits all day long. Nick Bosa is the real deal. If he's not a pro bowler and if he's not an all-pro guy by the end of the season, I think we should riot. (laughs) I think we should really riot. Nick Bosa has been the real deal. And, I mean, the dude is getting double teamed. He's getting triple teamed. He's getting chipped. He's getting held left and right. You know, one of our good friends and followers, Matt Llewellyn, he talks about how Nick Bosa gets held all the time. And I have to agree with him 100%, man. Nick Bosa gets held all the time. And I know he's a second overall pick, but we're talking about a rookie that's getting held and he's getting beat up like he's J.J. Watt or Joey Bosa or Cam Jordan or Cam Hayward or, you know, even D. Ford, you name it. Nick Bosa is getting bullied. And he's still going out there. He's still making plays. He's taking it, you know, I guess when it, when he's one-on-one, he's really taking advantage of those opportunities because more often than not, he's been winning his battles. He's been winning his battles. He's been making plays. He's just, he's just so ferocious at the line, guys. He really is. Nick Bosa is the real deal. The guy deserves more love than he's getting. Again, Defensive Player of the Year, All-Pro, Pro Bowl, Rookie of the Year, damn near. You guys name it, and Nick Bosa deserves it. He really does. But uh, I talked about Marcel Harris. Marcel Harris had a really good game, I thought. Nick Bosa had a really good game, too. Let's get more into the linebackers. I know I talked about Fred Warner, who had a nice game. But what about Shire and Greenlaw? I thought Greenlaw had another really good game in coverage. The guy knows how to cover tight ends. He knows how to cover running backs. He's smart in the run game. He knows how to fill lanes. He knows how to tackle. And when Quan Alexander comes back next season, Greenlaw, Alexander, and Warner are going to be the best linebacking unit in all of football. And I'm going to stay true to that word. I really think these guys have something special. But Dre Greenlaw, again, guys, six total tackles. He had four solo tackles, no breakups, no QB hits. I, you know, just going off the eye test, he's such a good linebacker. He really is. He is such a good and solid player that you look out there and you go, you got to give it to Robert Sala and John Lynch because they nailed this fifth round draft pick. And, you know, after that story came out about how, 
he saw someone at a party, I think it was, and the girl was about to get taken advantage of. And he came in there and, you know, stepped up and been a gentleman and shoot the guy away. You guys know the story. You just knew something was special with Dre Greenlaw. And he's a special football player. He's elite, elite, elite. Now, I don't necessarily think he'll be an all-pro player at some point, but he's going out there, and I'm not going to lie, guys. Dre Greenlaw is going out there, and he's playing like a pro bowler. I really believe that. Greenlaw is having himself one hell of a season. You know, Quan Alexander wasn't hurt. I don't think we'd be hearing Dre Greenlaw's name called on as much. But since Quan is hurt, Dre Greenlaw is getting all the starting snaps. He's getting all the playing time. And he really deserves it, guys. He really, really deserves it. Greenlaw has been fantastic in coverage. You know, our good friend and follower, Niners High follower, Scott Scott Gielen, also says that Dre Greenlaw is just He's just ferocious. I think Fred Warner has been helping Greenlaw a lot with understanding tackling angles, how to break up passes, how to cover, how to defend. I mean, Fred Warner is what, a second-year player, a third-year player? And again, he's playing like an all-pro all pro player. And I think Warner and even Quan Alexander are helping Greenlaw already get up to, you know, you can say at like a Pro Bowl level. But there's no doubt in my mind Greenlaw deserves to be a starter. He deserves to be a center centerpiece key piece if you will for this Niners defense moving forward and I think that he's just good he's just a good solid linebacker that knows how to get the job done and he's reliable when his name is called upon you know he's a rookie he'll make his mistakes I understand that you know he had a kind of rough preseason but Quan goes down Greenlaw comes in he steps up and he looks really good guys Greenlaw looks really good opposite Fred Warner and those two guys are going to be so good together. And then when Alexander comes back, all three of them are going to be really good. But uh, outside of Dre Greenlaw, Aziz Alshire also had a pretty good day. He only had one tackle. I think he got benched a couple times. I know he wasn't on there, obviously, for all the snaps. Aziz Alshire, I really like the guy. I really like the kid. I think he's a young stud. He's a solid backup. I think point blank, he's a solid backup who can play in a pinch. But right now, he's playing like an undrafted rookie. He's playing, I don't want to say he's playing scared or he's playing nervous like that because he goes out there and lays the wood. He makes plays. But Shire has not been that good covering. He has not been that good in coverage. He's pretty good in run defense. He's pretty good at filling lanes. But overall, Shire just, he's he's not a good cover linebacker. He still has a lot to learn about the game, I think. And moving forward, I think Shire can be a solid starter at some point. Again, he could be a solid backup player in a pinch. But he still has a lot to learn, just like Marcel Harris. Aziz Alshire has a lot to learn about the game. He has a lot to understand what's going on. And going forward, I don't necessarily think Alshire is a liability. I think as he gets more playing time, he'll develop into his own player and he'll become really solid. But for the time being, there are times when Shire, I I guess he doesn't cover properly. There's times when I felt like he busts assignments or he doesn't really understand what's going on on the field. And it'll cost a team. It'll cost the team huge chunk plays. But I'm not going out there saying that Shire shouldn't play. He shouldn't start because I think Shire should. I think he's a good linebacker. He's not a great linebacker, but he's a good linebacker when his name is called upon. Again, I can't emphasize it enough, guys. He just he has a lot to learn. He really does. But uh, that's about it for the linebackers. They played pretty good. Could have been a little better. Warner was good. Greenlaw was good. Shire was meh. But overall, they did what they were supposed to do. I'm not complaining about the linebackers. But uh, let's get into the secondary, guys. No Richard Sherman. So this was the Kello Witherspoon, DJ Reed, and Emmanuel Mosley game. 
And we let me tell you guys, Emmanuel Mosley was getting the work by Julio Jones. Again, Julio Jones, he had, what, 13 catches, 134 yards. He was covered by Mosley most of the time. But overall, I mean, I don't have too much to say. It's Emmanuel Mosley. He's a good, solid starting cornerback. But he has not gone up against anyone like Julio Jones, guys. He hasn't. So going into this game, watching this game, thinking, oh, Salah needs to adjust. He needs to do something about Julio. Well, I think at some point, Salah was trying to do stuff about Julio. And there's nothing you could do about Julio. He's, I still think he's the best wide receiver in the game, hands down. And he just, he manhandled Emmanuel Mosley, guys. He had Mosley's number all afternoon. And... You know, Mosley hadn't faced anyone like Julio Jones. He's seen Tyler Lockett. He's seen DJ Moore. You know, he's seen he's seen good, solid tier two wide receivers, arguably, but he hasn't faced a top three wide receiver like Julio Jones. And I mean, even if Akello Witherspoon was on Jones, I don't think uh, Spoon would have done as good as Mosley either. But overall, guys, you know, Spoon, Mosley, DJ Reed, they did a good job against the Falcons as wide receivers. Overall, let's see. Falcons is wide receivers who caught the ball. Russell Gage had five catches for 27 yards. He got targeted six times. Not that bad. I mean, it's Russell Gage. You know, he's a pretty pretty good wide receiver, 3-4. I know the Falcons lost Calvin Ridley for the season. But Russell Gage had an okay day. He wasn't really impactful. And you know what, guys? That's it. Julio Jones and Russell Gage were the only two wide receivers to catch the ball for the Falcons. So... Overall, I guess you can say the DBs weren't really tasked too much. Austin Hooper, who was mostly covered by linebackers, three catches or 20 yards. Devontae Freeman, running back, two two catches, 16 yards. Luke Stocker, another tight end, one catch, nine yards. So overall, outside of Julio Jones, the DBs weren't really tasked too much. But if Russell Gage is going out there and only getting five catches and no other receivers are catching the ball, then you can say the DBs did a good job. Once we watch film, we'll understand more. But I really think that Spoon and Mosley, outside of Julio, did a good job. But we can get into that a little bit right now, guys. Julio Jones. I don't know, you know, I don't know if Salah really made the proper adjustments to cover Julio. I never felt like Julio was really double covered on the day. It felt like Mosley and Julio were just going at it. And this was one of the things that I kind of feel like cost the Niners the game. They didn't adjust to the offense. They didn't adjust to Matt Ryan and Julio Jones having that connection, getting the job done. No one was double covered on Julio. Julio was on his own island with Emmanuel Mosley just bullying him whenever he wanted. And I think that was the biggest thing that cost the Niners the win was, you know, outside of the offense not moving well, Sala did not adjust to Julio Jones at all. And you have Matt Ryan who... You know, he's really only looking for Julio. Julio had 20 targets on the day, guys, 20. And yet, he still caught the ball 13 times for over 100 yards and a game-winning touchdown. And Salah didn't adjust. He didn't adjust to Julio Jones. And I really believe that was one of the biggest factors into why the Niners lost. Now, I know it's not easy to cover Julio Jones. The Niners don't have a receiver, or excuse me, a DB like Marshawn Lattimore or Marlon Humphrey. And that really goes to show why not having Richard Sherman was huge. Now, I don't think Richard Sherman, you know, I know Richard Sherman has lost a step. I know he's having a good season, but I definitely think that Richard Sherman would have had a much better day on Julio than Emmanuel Mosley or Akella Witherspoon. 
And that goes to show how important it is to have this defense healthy because if these guys are going to be gone for the rest of the season or, you know, constantly nicked up, the Niners are going to have a hard time in the playoffs. But with that being said, though, Julio took advantage of the secondary. Julio dominated the game. He had a typical Julio Jones game, 13 catches, 134 yards. But again, the dude saw 20 targets. You had to figure at some point Sala had to have at least thought, how can I stop Julio? What can I do to take advantage or take away the advantage of Julio Jones? And, you know, I emphasize a lot about how important it is for the Niners offense but and defense, if you will, to make adjustments and make things happen and try to fix whatever it is that's going on. And, you know, they did for the most part. Austin Hooper was covered well. Devontae Freeman, Brian Hill, you know, the running game was covered well by the Falcons or by the Niners, excuse me. But the one little asterisk, the one little thing that did not stand out well for Salah and the defense was covering Julio Jones. And when it mattered the most, when that final drive came in, when the Niners needed to stop the Falcons, they needed to just, you know, snap their fingers and call the game right there, cover Julio Jones. It didn't happen. It didn't. And again, the Niners started the game the way they finished. Sluggish, slow, sloppy. It felt like, you know, I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, it, it felt like they didn't really care. Or not that they didn't care, guys, but it just felt like that the Niners went out there and they didn't think much of the game. I didn't feel the energy from the team. And I know I'm a knucklehead watching from my seat, but even, even watching my TV, you know, I didn't feel that energy I normally did. I didn't feel the hype. I didn't feel the, the, the drive or that, I guess the adversity or however you say it. I didn't feel that like spark. I didn't feel that energy from the team as a whole. And it really reflected throughout the game until, you know, it mattered. And they didn't come through. They didn't. Guys didn't execute. Guys didn't get the job done. And the Falcons just won a bad game that the Niners played. They won a really bad game, guys. But overall, the secondary played well. Marcel Harris looked good. Spoon, Mosley, other than Julio, they looked really good. And then uh, let's get into the pass rush, guys. Nick Bosa, I already brought, brought him up once, but Nick Bosa should be defensive rookie of the year. All-Pro, Pro Bowl, Defensive Player of the Year, whatever you guys want to call it. Bosa was really good again, no matter if he's getting doubled, chipped, tripled. You know, it seems like a lot of teams are trying to, you know, it looks like they're trying to figure out the Niners' defensive line by getting all these quick and short passes off to negate the pass rush. Because compared to, like, last week against Drew Brees, I really felt like the Niners' pass rush got after Breeze a lot better. And overall in the day, the Niners had six quarterback hits, but three of them were from Armstead, two were from Bosa, one was from Day. You know, it felt like even guys like Valawaga, Buckner, Street. I know Street had a huge drive up the middle that pressured Ryan big time. But I'm saying that it felt like the defensive line had a lot of pressure today. I felt like they were getting after Matt Ryan. I felt like Matt Ryan didn't have too much time to throw. But when Ryan did have time to throw, he just found Julio, and Julio was there for a 10, 20, 30-yard gain, whatever it may be. So I guess you can say when it mattered, I don't think the pass rush got home good enough. Bosa did his job. Sheldon Day had a really solid day, too. I You know you didn't hear much from Buckner. Obviously, you didn't hear from Valawaga. Street had a nice play, but you didn't hear from Street too much, you know. So overall, I... I don't want to say it, but I almost feel like offenses have kind of figured out the Niners' defense, especially that defensive line. I mean, you can go out there and you can 
coach up your team and tell them to press man your DBs, press the linebackers, close off any routes, close off anything as much as possible to give the defensive line that extra step to sack Matt Ryan or sack the quarterback. But you don't see a lot of press man on this defense. I felt like I did see more man coverage today. But when you're facing Julio Jones, when you're facing Austin Hooper, you're not necessarily going to press those guys because they will beat you at the line of scrimmage. But overall, though, the pass rush was hitting home. But when it mattered, I felt like the pass rush really wasn't there. And again, it was just sloppy through and through. I'm not blaming Bosa, though, in no way. Because Bosa, I mean, he went out there and did Nick Bosa things. He finally had a sack. I believe it was his first sack since the Carolina game. Or maybe the Seattle game. It's been a long time. <laughs> the point being, though, it's been a long time since I felt like I've gotten to say Nick Bosa has, you know, gotten a sack. But no, guys, the defensive line did good. They didn't do great. You know, a lot of us have been really critical. I think today, I know I've been really critical with the defense, but I don't think Salah called a bad game. I think Salah had a pretty good called game up until that last drive, obviously. I mean, there were some fluky penalties. Atlanta was gifted a fumble, too. I don't think they scored on it, but the point being is that they were gifted a fumble. You know, it was things of that nature that just sloppy play and sloppy things gave the Falcons the win and cost the Niners the loss. Bottom line, the defense, though, they did good. I really am going to go on this island saying that Salah and the defense did very good against the Falcons. I mean, look at these stats. The Falcons didn't pass for over 300 yards, and Matt Ryan has been having a pretty good season on Matt Ryan standards. I mean, Matt Ryan had 210 total yards. The uh, The Atlanta Falcons only ran for 89 yards. So you add up those two numbers, the Falcons only, they didn't even have 300 yards of total offense. I mean, the Falcons on the day two, they only averaged four and a half yards a carry. They ran the ball 20 times. So overall, the run defense was good. I thought that run defense was very good for the Niners. They didn't give Atlanta the chance to run the ball and run it well. This was one of those games that just, you know, I saw this crazy stat, guys, and it said the Niners are the first team since the 2000 Eagles to lose all of their games within the last, I think, the last drive or the last play of the game. And I mean, the Niners lost two field goals, both to Baltimore and Seattle, and then they lost on the touchdown today to the Falcons. So to go out there and lose these close games, I know two of them are playoff teams and one of them are the Falcons, but they're still going out there and they're still competing. But I guess, you know, this might be a little underrated and you guys might make, might make fun of me for it. But the Niners, you know, if they don't close it out on offense, you get the feeling that they're not going to get the job done on defense. You know what I mean? And I know you can blame it on the injuries today. You know, they had a ton of injuries, a lot of players that were out. But Salah in the defense, when it mattered, like the Seattle game, like the Baltimore game, like this game, the defense has not gotten the, gotten the job done. The defense, at the end of the day, you can say has costed the Niners three victories. And I'm going to go out on a, on a loan on the island saying that, but the Niners defense, you know, they, they let them down today. They let down the whole team. And I know the offense didn't perform well, but the Niners' defense has had a chance to close the game out three times, and they failed. They have failed to close the game out, and that falls on Salah. That falls on guys executing, and there's not much more I can say. Guys need to go out and get the job done. Bottom line, you can do it for four quarters. You can do it in parts of overtime, but when it comes to that last drive of the game, that last play of the game, like Julio Jones or like 
you know, Lamar Jackson sneaking up the middle for a first down. It's things like that that make or break teams. And Salah has not necessarily proven it to me that he has what it takes to call defensive plays that can win the Niners the game. I know guys need to execute. I know that. But as a defensive coach, this falls on Kosirik and Joe Woods too. As defensive coaches, you have to nail it home to your guys that they need to get this job done or we could lose the game. And that's happened three times this season. That's happened three times. Guys have not gotten the job done and has costed this team victories. But, hey, that's all I'm going to say about that, guys. But uh, let's see. Special teams thoughts now. I'm going to move on from the defense. Dude, Robbie Gold, what's going on? What is going on? Another missed extra point. That was his first, I think that was his first missed extra point You know, in a few years. Robbie Gold has not been good. He hasn't. I noticed this last week in New Orleans, but I swear to God, even on that game-winning field goal, I thought that was going to bounce off the upright or something. I seriously thought that field goal was going to miss. There's a lot of times, too, when Robin Gold was kicking PATs last week in New Orleans that they almost missed. They almost missed, I swear to God, guys. And they just barely got in. But, but when they needed the PAT today to make it 20-17, to 17, they failed. Robbie Gold failed. And one of our good friends, Matt, calls Robbie Gold pyrite. Fool's gold. Is he? I don't know. But he didn't get the job done today when it mattered. I know it's just one extra point. <clears throat> but one extra point can be the difference. And it would have been the difference if Atlanta kicked a field goal when they were driving. But obviously it doesn't matter because they scored a touchdown. But the point being is that Robbie Gold missed a huge PAT. And I know he had three field goals on the day, which were all nice kicks. But that one PAT is going to sink into our heads all week. And you got to figure, what is going on with Robbie Gold? Is he still not happy? Is it miscommunication with Ross Dwelly? Or not Ross Dwelly, Kyle Nelson, the long snapper. Wishnowski, the holder. Is Gold salty? Is again, is he not happy? I don't know what's going on, guys. It's really, really upsetting to see Gold struggle. But overall, though, Gold kicked pretty well. Wisnowski had some solid punts today. He had really good punts. Wisnowski is the real deal. Kyle Shanahan was singing him lots of praises. And, you know, what can I say? Wisnowski is solid on the day. Four punts, 184 total yards. He averaged 46 yards a punt, two of them inside the 20, one of them for a long of 55. I like I like Wisnowski, guys. I really do. A lot of people will knock him for being a fourth-round pick. But, hey, if he's going to go out there and kick the ball and kick the ball well, I know he's not kicking it like Michael Dixon or Thomas Morstead, but he's going out there and he, he's being Mitch Wisnowski. He's going out there and he's punting the ball. He's playing football. <laughs> I you know I know it sounds silly to talk about a punter like that, but I mean he's punting the ball and he's punting it well. So I will give him a lot of props with that. But guys, I think we are going to wrap it up there with the entire team. Now I am going to get in some red and gold standard podcast fan mail. So. Let's get into it, fellas. Brian Tomei on Twitter asks, Why Salah's, Why did Salah not make any adjustments in this last game? Is it just health issues or is it a DC issue? So, I think for a game like today, Salah, again, Salah called a really good game for what he had at his disposal. DJ Reed, I, I guess Emmanuel Mosley, Keller Witherspoon, either or interchangeable. Uh, Marcel Harris was out there. No Kwan Williams. Uh, no DJ Jones, no Julian Taylor. 
I don't think it's a DC issue, Brian. I think it was a matter of him not having his players healthy. Obviously, no D4 too. He didn't have his players healthy, though. He was calling a really good game, though. I seriously thought that he called a good game up until the last drive when it mattered, and I know I just went on a rant about it. But Sala called a good game. I think he really called a good game, and I'm not going to hold too much against him for it. He he was good. I thought he was really good. So that was from Brian Tomei. Now Zay Ward. With the injuries and brutal schedule we just went through, do you think we can win the last few games and take number one back, or are we too worn down? Zay, I think this is a really solid question to ask, and I think I'm going to say that they can win out both games. Now, I know I'm speaking as that as a homer, but hear me out. The Rams just got put up 44 points by the Cowboys, one of the most inconsistent teams in all of football. And, I mean, the Rams just went out and beat Seattle, and they lose by, you know, they allow 44 points to the Cowboys? The Cowboys? Oh, ooh, we. But, uh... Nah, Zay, I think they can win the last few games. I, I will admit, though, I think the team is worn down. Every team is worn down at this point. I mean, Seattle just, they beat Carolina, who isn't that good. They kind of suck. But Carolina didn't even have Jadavion Clowney. They didn't have Ziggy Ansah. They lost Bobby Wagner with to an ankle sprain. So this that team is worn down. The Rams are worn down. Cooper Cup has been okay. Robert Woods hasn't been that good. Todd Gurley has just been a mystery. And obviously with the Niners today, all the injuries on defense today, the tackles are still getting back into shape, I think. Garoppolo is still kind of working his way into shape, too. I think he's he's finally hitting his stride, but there's times when you go, eh, I think he's still working into it. But overall, though, the team is worn down, but they should be able to handle the Rams, guys. And we'll talk about Seattle in a, couple, in a week and a half, but I think they still have a chance at beating Seattle. Then shout out to Goober. He says he has no concern, no concerns. The duration of the season sucks. I agree. Dude, it's a long season. It's a really long season. 16 games. 16 games in 17 weeks with one bye week. And I mean, the Niners have had to play, let's see, they had to bye week week four. Oh my god, what is my math? 11 straight games the Niners have had to play? 11 straight games. That is, that, that's just brutal. I think that's just really brutal. But, uh... Dominic Tufo, defense, defense, defense. Man, I agree. <laughs> I agree. The defense was good, though, guys. The defense played really well. It was just that last drive, and I talked about it too much. Salah needs to close out drives when it matters, and he hasn't done that yet. I think he will find that groove at some point. But overall, though, Salah needs to make those adjustments, and he needs to he needs to go out there, and he needs to prove to me that he can close out games. He can close out four and a half quarters. He can close out parts of OT. <laughs> but when it matters, he can't close it out. Defense cannot close it out. But uh, last question, though, guys. Matt, Matt Llewellyn, we love you. Attacks us on Twitter. What happened? <laughs> I got to agree with Matt. What happened? That's all the question says. Kyle Shanahan called a lazy game today. He called a really lazy game. And it, it was just lazy through and through. I think, you know, oh, Actually, speaking of which, another question I got. Someone asked, um, oh, what to say? Oh, someone asked, do the Niners do the Niners overlook bad teams? And I think that might have been Zach, who's not on the show today. You know, shout out to Zach. I miss you, buddy. Love you. But uh, do the Niners overlook bad teams? Do they play down to lower competition? I, I think so. I really think so. 
And Eric Crocker, you know, our good friends Mike and Nick and Nothing But Niners, they've all talked about how the Niners, or excuse me, how Kyle Shanahan is very stubborn. He wants his way. He wants things to be coached and called and played out his way. And today was one of those stubborn Kyle Shanahan games where where he really just, he didn't hit home with his play calling. He didn't. Salah didn't even hit home with his play calling either. I know he had a good game, but in the last drive, oh, you guys got me talking about it. Salah didn't hit home. Kyle Shanahan didn't hit home. Special teams was okay today, but I mean, you know, it felt like at times special teams was pretty sloppy. But overall, though, no one hit home today. And I think, I really, really think, guys, that that is a big factor of playing down to lower competition. I really think so. It happens in the NFL all the time. All the freaking time. I mean, the Dolphins have three wins. You know, whoever they beat three times, I don't even know their schedule. I'm sure they rolled over. The Redskins have won games. I don't like the Browns. And, you know, the Browns are underachieving big time, but I mean, they've won games. Arizona's won games. The Lions have won games. So, what I'm trying to say, though, is that losing to bad teams happens. I firmly believe, and a lot of you guys should believe too, that good teams overlook bad teams all the time. All the freaking time, and it happens. It really happens, and there's not much more you can say, guys. There's not much more you can do about it. Teams will play bad to bad teams. You know, you overlook bad competition. You don't think much of it. And when you open the drive or you open the game like the way the Niners did, I mean, I think it was a three and out, and then you score your first touchdown in the game on 21 plays. Kyle Shanahan, this is the type of dude, Kyle Shanahan, who will want to score a touchdown within a minute, just like Andy Reid. Andy Reid is like that too. He wants to go out there and he wants to get the big plays out of the way. He wants to just, he wants to go, 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 go. That's what Kyle Shanahan's MO is too. That's what Shanahan is usually all about. Get the big plays out of the way. But 21 plays that ate up almost 11 minutes on the clock. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Shanahan, call a better game. I'm I'm gonna yell at you, Kyle Shanahan. You gotta go out there and you gotta call a better game because today was just it was bad. It was bad through and through, and not much more I can say, guys. So you guys have gotten to hear me rant for over 50 minutes. I love you guys. I really appreciate it. Shout out to Zach too. I know he's not here. He's had a lot of family stuff going on. But I'm holding down the fort for you, buddy. I really am. Faithful, I always appreciate you guys. I love that you guys listen to this. And uh, I'm going to get into Zach's favorite standard shout-outs. So for me, this is going to be you know stats and information that really uh, stood out to me today. So the Niners, they have at least one or more takeaways in 13 games this season. They had five games like that in 2018 with a takeaway, you know, interception, fumble recovery. So the Niners are still going out there and they're still forcing things to happen. They're still forcing dudes to fumble, big hits, big picks, whatever it may be. They're getting the job done. I know it didn't happen today near the end of the game, but, and, and you know, the fumble recovery today by the Niners was on special teams. It was on a Kenyon Barner uh, muffed punt, if you will, or forced fumble by Ross Dwelly. But they're still getting takeaways, guys. They're still making an impact in some way. And you got to love it. You got to love the relentless hard effort all the time, no matter what. Another shout-out, though. How about George Kittle, guys? George Kittle has surpassed Mike Ditka. And George Kittle has 2,700 yards in his career as a tight end. It's the most reception yards by a tight end in his first three seasons in NFL history. 
I know Kittle in his post-game interview said, I don't care about that because they lost. I mean, I, I wouldn't even care about that if I was him too. I mean, we lost the damn game to the Falcons. <laughs> but he's still going out there, guys. He's still breaking records. And, and I mean, it's George Kittle. He's an all-pro tight end. He most certainly, I know he's missed a couple games, but I really think this season he should be an all-pro tight end. He got snubbed last season. He deserves to be all-pro team one this season. He deserves to be a pro bowler. It Not much more I can say, guys. It's George Kittle. But uh, how about this? A rare occurrence. The Niners have allowed, they only allowed 205-plus passing yards for the third time this season. So the Niners' secondary has been really good. They've been getting the job done. You know, I know that's really vague. I mean, you've had quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, uh, not Andy Dalton, but James Winston. You know, even Russell Wilson throw for 230, 240 yards. But the fact that the Niners have allowed pretty much less than 200 passing yards or less three times this season, that's really impressive. I got to give it to them on that one. But uh, how about Nick Bosa, guys? Another shout-out. His nine sacks are the fourth most by a San Francisco rookie since 1982 when the sack first became recorded. Nick Bosa is the real deal. I can't talk about this kid enough, guys. Nick Bosa is so much fun to watch. He is such a bully. He's getting doubled and chipped. And he still gets up there. He still makes plays. He's still pressuring the quarterback. And and not much more I can say, guys. I love Nick Bosa. I love that defense. I know they didn't execute today, but they're still so much fun to watch. Even when the offense can't perform, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, okay, I get to watch the defense now. I get to see what's going on with them. You know, that's a product of fun football. It's a product of fun, fun entertaining excitement. <laughs> I don't know how to word it. The point is, though, the defense is really fun to watch. And um, last shout-out, guys, Raheem Mostert. He's a rushing touchdown in four straight games. In his previous 44 career games, he's only had two rushing touchdowns, and I think those are both with the Niners. So shout-out to Raheem Mostert, guys. He's a stud. He needs to get more carries. Now, I'm going to close with this. I didn't talk about it enough, really. But Raheem Mostert needs to get the ball more. He does. I can go on a whole rant about this, but all I'm really going to say Raheem Mostert needs carries. He does. When he's given a good lane, when he's given a good hole to run through, he will get 7, 8, 9, 10 yards. It doesn't matter. He goes out there and he runs to Rockwell. Matt Breida fumbled twice. Breida didn't have a good game. Tevin Coleman only got four carries, but there were times when within those four carries, I know he had one big carry, but the other three that were bad, I swear, guys, those were times when I thought like Raheem Mostert should have been out there. Even after Breida fumbled, I was like, Raheem Mostert should have been out there. So Mostert is very well deserving of more carries. He needs the ball in his hands. I think Mostert is the best running back on this team who can move the ball when he has to, who can catch the ball out of the backfield when he has to. And he just does it all. He's the do-it-all prototypical running back that Shanahan loves and that he needs to display more. I know it's hard to get a guy like Mostert going when he's also so effective on special teams too, but I think this offense moves its best when Raheem Mostert is playing his best. And Mostert needs to get more carries. He needs to get more opportunities with the rock in his hands. I know he had 14 carries today, but it was one of those games where I felt like if you take away half of Coleman's carries, you take away half of Breida's carries, you even take away those two fullback dives that Kyle Shanahan called with the use check, Give Mostert 20 carries. If you have to do it, give Mostert the opportunity you know, to make something happen. And he does. He's been doing that all season with the ball in his hands. He's making something happen. So feed Mostert. Make me happy, damn it. 
make everyone happy. Make Grant Cohn happy. Just go out there. Call some damn plays, Kyle Shanahan, because you rolled over to the Falcons today. Everyone rolled over to the Falcons today. I am certainly disappointed. Not as much as most people, but the way the Niners came out and the way the Niners finished was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous, and I know they lost, but I would have at least wanted to lose in a... I guess in a more better fashion if we if I wanted us to lose, which I didn't. But we still lost, though. Ridiculous way to lose. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry I was ranting too negatively. You know, to close out, though, to finish with, with some positivity, the Niners are going to go into a huge Rams game week 16. I personally think they can demolish the Rams. Kittle and everyone in that locker room post-game in their interviews were all talking about how we need to look forward. We need to be ready. Kittle even said, we're going to play you know, our asses off. We cannot roll over and play a game like this. We need to play, play, play. And I think the Niners will match up against the Rams well. They'll be getting K1 back. They'll be getting Tart back. And, you know... Not much more I can say, guys. We need those guys healthy. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, obviously, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes. But on iTunes, guys, please, please, please leave a five-star review. Also, leave us a review as to why you love the show. Let us know your name, where you're from. We'll shout you out on our next podcast. And, you know, we'll share the love. We love all you guys. We love the faithful. We love the fans. And it's a lot of fun to do this podcast. I'm so glad and so thankful that I have you guys listening. So please, once again, leave a five-star review. Let us know how we did. Let us know your input. Let us know what's going on. Find me on Twitter, guys. Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49 E-R-S. Have a good night, faithful.